Good evening, church. Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We are finishing our study through the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and I get to land the plane this evening, 18 verses to teach through, and then a time of discussion. I want to say hi to our online audience. Uh, It's been really great to engage with them. While while you guys are in your circle groups, we've been hosting an online circle group, and it's been a great time uh, fellowshipping with them online. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's broken into three parts. Number one is Paul's prayer request and encouragement to the church. Number two is Paul's warning and example to follow. And number three, Paul's final words. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read each section and then comment And then we'll end with a time of application before we go into our circle groups. So read with me verse 1 through 5, and then I'll share another word of prayer. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Another quick word of prayer. Father, we love you. And we love your word. We now submit ourselves once again under the authority of your word, and we ask for your blessing upon this time. We pray, Lord, would you search our hearts and know it. Try us, Lord, see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Jesus, we confess that we need you. Lord, I confess I need you. I pray, Father, that our ears would be open to the leading of the Spirit and his voice. And I pray that you would disciple us in Christ's image, to Christ's image for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen, amen. amen. So the context where we find ourselves in 2 Thessalonians is that Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he loves this church. If you've been tracking with us for the past couple of uh, weeks, Paul is praying for this church. He is loving this church. And it's really, really interesting because he was only with this church for three weeks, And he's pouring himself out, and he's really impressed with their receptivity to the Word of God. He says that, hey, in 1 Thessalonians, you're receiving the Word of God even in much affliction, and your testimony of receiving the Word of God is is being known throughout all the land. And, And their evidence of receiving the Word of God was evidence in their love for Jesus and in their love for one another. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they love this church. And in Paul's final chapter, in his final letter to the church in Thessalonica, he starts out with a prayer request. It's interesting, for the, for the first and second books of uh, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, he said, I'm praying for you over six times, and this is the first time he's asking, hey, I need prayer myself. So let's look at Paul's prayer request and his encouragement to the church. Finally, brethren, pray for us 
His prayer request is twofold. Number one, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And number two, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all have faith. I am so impressed with Paul's humility to ask for prayer. Paul, the one who wrote almost half of the New Testament, and he's asking for prayer for, I would say, these baby believers, right? He was only with them for three weeks, and he's opening himself up and saying, hey, you need prayer. I've been praying for you, but look, 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 and listen to this. I need prayer too. In church, if Paul needed prayer, I think we need some prayer too. And we can learn a lot about Paul's character by what he prayed. He says, that the word of the Lord would run swiftly, just as it is with you. So he's praying that he would have uh, opportunity for the word of God to go before them, that the gospel that he is not ashamed of, right, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that it would go out into all the world and that it would be received just as you, church, received it, with a willingness, with a humility. And he says, also, pray for me to this, with this, that as we go, that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have the faith that they believe in Jesus. You see in Paul, Silas, Timothy, their ministry, they were really persecuted by the religious leaders, right? They were persecuted for preaching Jesus, and he's asking for deliverance from these wicked men as the word of the Lord is going forth. And I, I love looking at this prayer because Paul understands his limitations, That's why he's asking for help. Paul understood that as the word of God was going forth, it's not going to be him that changes people. It's going to be the word of God. Though Paul was an eloquent speaker, he says, hey, I'm I'm not going to come with fancy words. I'm going to come in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul understood that the work that he was doing was fueled by prayer, was sustained by prayer, and would be completed by prayer. How silly of us to think that we can do anything apart from the power of prayer, right? And Paul's asking for this prayer request from the church that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. What would that look like? It looks like the gospel going forth in much power and not falling on deaf ears, but receptive ears because they're praying that the Holy Spirit would be the one to soften up the hearts, to open up the ears, to open up the blind eyes so that they would see that Jesus is the Savior. So Paul is praying, he's asking for prayer, hey, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that he would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. I think Paul understood too that his time was coming. Paul would write to the Ephesians that we need to be redeeming the time for the days are evil. So Paul's saying, hey, I don't want any obstacles in my way as I run this course for the gospel. So pray that I would be delivered from these unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. It's at the end of 1 Corinthians that Paul says, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they knew that as the word of the Lord was going forth in a great and effective way, that there would also be adversaries. And so too with our Christian life, right? When we're making ventures and steps of faith, so too the enemy is right there, ready to distract and cause those obstacles and distractions from us. And so Paul is saying, hey, pray. Pray that we wouldn't be caught up in those different things because the days are short. The implication is like, I understand what I'm called to do and I have a limited amount of time to do and limited strength. So I need to call on the Lord who would give me that strength. Paul understood his limitations. And so we also see his encouragement But the Lord is faithful. 
He is faithful. And how is the Lord's faithfulness seen? Number one, he will establish you. And number two, he will guard you from the evil one. Paul writing to the church, he's encouraging them, hey, guys, the Lord is faithful. And all throughout the book, he's been, been encouraging them because they were a church that they thought that they missed the rapture, right? They're, they're like, I think we missed it. We're being persecuted. This must be the end times. And so he writes in chapter one, hey, you didn't miss it. <laughs> and he's bringing some enlightenment in chapter two, like these things must take place. And then he's encouraging them again. In the waiting, this is the context in which we find ourselves in, the Lord is faithful, Hey, church, you may have ups and downs. Paul's like, we have ups and downs. We need your prayer requests. But the Lord is faithful. And how is the Lord's faithfulness seen? That he will establish you. The picture is that the Lord will hold your feet in place, that you will be rooted and grounded. And Paul would write to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does it look like for the Lord to establish us? Well, it looks like him authoring, perfecting, and strengthening our faith in Jesus. I take so much comfort with the truth that the Lord is faithful. Paul would write to Timothy, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And do do you know that the Lord is faithful to you too, church? That even in the ups and downs and the waiting for the Lord to come back, we may slip and we may fall, but the Lord is faithful who will establish us and establish our faith. And number two, the Lord is faithful and he will show that faithfulness by guarding us from the evil one, speaking about the adversary. And so Paul, I wrestle with this because I know that I'm buffeted, I'm beaten by spiritual warfare. So if you're praying for the church that they would be guarded from the evil one and I'm still experiencing the spiritual warfare, how do these two things make sense? And as believers, we have to know that everything that touches us has first passed through the hands of a loving and sovereign God who knows us and desires the best for us. And so even though it may not feel like we're being guarded from the evil one, God is guarding us by giving Satan boundaries, the enemy boundaries of what he can and cannot do. Take the book of Job and that story of Job for an example. Satan was appearing before God and, and he was testing and he was looking for who, what he could do. And God says, you could do this up to this point, right? God was giving Satan boundaries. And so what does it look like for the Lord to guard us? It's to limit Satan and his influence. And I'm so thankful that the Lord just doesn't just like, it's a free-for-all, right? The Lord knows us. He sees us. And even in the spiritual warfare, when we feel like we're being beaten up, the Lord is guarding us, which tells us that everything that I'm experiencing in that spiritual warfare or that heaviness, it is for my good. See, God only allows that good in my life to produce that sanctification. And so God's guarding us. He's giving the enemy boundaries of what he can and cannot do. And what comfort that might have been for the Thessalonians to hear. Because they were being persecuted. Physical persecution, right? They were receiving the word of God. And their brothers, their sisters, the people that they grew up with, they were not agreeing with them. And so there's like turmoil inside and outside. And what comfort it is that the Lord would guard them from the evil one. And look at Paul's confidence in the Lord. What encouragement it is, verse 4. And we have confidence, not in ourselves, no, in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Again, he's pointing to the fact that the Lord will be the one to work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I love the fact that Paul wasn't confident in his own work or his own strength or his own wisdom. He's like, no, I'm confident in the Lord concerning you. 
that you will be obedient to the things that we've commanded you. And look at this final encouragement, verse 5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. This, this encouragement is filled with the Lord. It's filled with the Lord's word that he would guard us, that he would establish us, that he would be the one to work in us. And now would the Lord even direct our hearts into the love of God? This is the agape love of God, this love. Paul is asking the Lord that we would experience the fullness of God's unconditional love. That in the ups and downs, our mistakes and our failures, that we would press in into the unconditional love of God. And I, I love this this word direct our hearts into the love of God, because I think Paul understood that our natural tendency is to be misdirected from the love of God, right? Our natural tendency is to kind of miss it. And I I love that little phrase, right? The problem of the heart. No, the heart of the problem is always a problem of the heart. And and we need our hearts to be directed to the Lord, but we can't even do that ourselves. It has to be the Lord to direct our hearts unto him and to his love and into the patience of Christ. And so he's asking that they would experience God's unconditional love, but also the patience of Christ. And I thought that was an interesting statement. And so I think it can mean two things. Number one, how Christ exercised that patience while he was on earth with humility, right, with love. But also I think number two, and I think this fits more in the context, in the waiting for the Lord's return. That they would be pressing in into the love of God and into the patience of Christ, not losing hope, not losing perspective, that even though it's hard right now, even though you're in that persecution and that uh, spiritual warfare, that you would be experiencing the Lord. And so Paul's asking for prayer. He's also encouraging them. And then we come here to his warning and his example to follow. Before we read there, remember in the context, he's saying, hey, God has not come back just yet. You haven't missed the rapture. And so people who were hearing that, they were living like a loose lifestyle. They were kind of busy bodies. They were like, okay, well, if God didn't come back, he's going to come back soon. So I'm probably just not going to find a job. I'm I'm just going to kind of like freeload off of everybody else. And Paul writes here in verses 6 all the way to 15, his warning and example to follow. Follow along with me. But we command you. This This is not a suggestion. This is a command. We command you, brethren. In the name of the Lord Jesus, not by ourselves, but in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition from which he received from us. Pause there. The word withdraw is to avoid. Don't have fellowship with, don't hang out, don't give an ear to those who walk disorderly. And what does walking disorderly look like then, Paul? He says, those who do walk disorderly are not according to the tradition which he received from us. So it's not according to Paul, Silas, and Timothy's example. More on that. Here we go. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, verse 7. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves as an example of how you should follow us. And so those who were walking disorderly were freeloading, right? They were taking advantage of other people in their laziness. And Paul's like, hey, that wasn't our example. When we came to you for those three weeks preaching the gospel and sharing with you the the love of Christ through the word of God, we were working hard night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden. 
Though we could have pulled that authority card, like, hey, I'm here to be a spiritual blessing, like, treat me. He says, no, we were an example of how you should be living as you wait for the Lord's return. So he says, hey, if there is a brother who is walking in that way, withdraw from them. Now, the key is walking, right? Not just stumbles into that, but as a con- walking implies a consistent choice to continue to do that. It's a, I don't care what you have to say. I'm not going to heed your warnings. I'm just going to walk in this mindset no matter what you say. So those who are stuck in that habitual pattern of sin, Paul is saying, hey, withdraw from those people. Interesting. Okay, so here we go. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. <laughs> it's kind of spiritual words for saying, just get a job. <laughs> just get a job. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. What's a busy body? Someone who's not doing anything, so they're in everybody else's business and wasting time. So they were not redeeming the time for the days are evil, right? They were just busybodies. And the mindset was, well, Christ is going to come. So why should I put roots down here? And though that is true to an extent, they were taking it to a sinful uh, level where they're like, I want to be treated. I want to be served instead of serving. And so Paul is giving them a warning, withdraw from these people. And withdraw from these people so that God can teach them. So this is This is uh, Paul's instruction to those who are walking disorderly. Verse 12. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So he's saying, hey, get a job and then don't make a fanfare about it. This is what you're supposed to do. Just work in quietness. Be faithful. And Paul's like, this is what's expected of you. This is kind of like the bare minimum of what's expected for you as you await the Lord's return. Don't be a busybody, but we exhort you and command you in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's command towards you, busybodies, that you work in quietness and eat your own bread. Verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. In the waiting for Christ's return, don't be a busybody, be faithful. And in the faithfulness, don't grow weary while doing good. Now, Paul writes this because the implication is, is that we can grow weary while doing good. What might it look like for us to grow weary while doing good? For me, it's a loss of motivation. It's a loss of intimacy with Christ. My prayer life is dried up. My time in the word is non-existent. I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. And so what might it look like for us to continually be having... um, that, that mindset to not grow weary in doing good. A couple of verses that come to mind. How can we not grow weary? Number one, we need to continually come to the fountain that is Jesus. Continually come to the fountain that is Jesus. Would you turn with me quickly to John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Leave your finger in first, Second Thessalonians, but turn into the gospel of John chapter 7, verses 37 to 38, because this is what I believe the Lord was highlighting to me for us this evening, that we are a church that has been doing good, and we may be losing heart. We may be growing weary. So how do we combat this? Number one, 
continually come to the fountain that is Jesus. Jesus gives us this invitation in John chapter 7, verses 37 and on. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus gives this invitation on that last day of that feast, and it's an invitation for us that when we are growing weary in doing good, to continually come to him, our souls get thirsty. Amen? But I'm thankful that we can come to an eternal fountain by the Holy Spirit. As we come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one refreshing our hearts. He's refreshing those dry, cracked places in our soul. And out of our hearts, for where, was, where once was dry land, is now rivers of living water. But here's the thing. We have to make that decision to embrace our thirst, to acknowledge that there is a problem, that there is a lack. And we come to Jesus by faith. And then we drink personally. It's a rebuke to me. Sometimes I know to come to Jesus and I'm just like, okay, Lord, I'll enter in, but I'll only enter in part way. And it's like, no, as you enter in, continually fully partake of Jesus. And don't just go halfway, go all the way into the presence of the Lord to receive that refill that we need in our souls. And here's the promise. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart might flow rivers of living water? No, will flow rivers of living water. So we can come by faith, but an assurance of faith that as we come to Jesus and partake of him, that out of our hearts that was once dry will flow rivers of living water. Number two, how do we continually do good and not grow weary? We need to check our yoke. Check our yoke. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. We know that we are to embrace Jesus' yoke, but often we trade his yoke for other things and we get dry and we get thirsty because we're taking on yokes that were not designed for us. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, those to those who are heavy, laden, and burdened. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I might give you rest. I know. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes we're doing good with good things and we're growing weary because sometimes we take those good yokes and we put other yokes upon us because those things are good. Ministry is good. Serving God is good. All these different things. And they're yokes not designed for us just yet, maybe, or not designed for us at all. And so we got to check, who am I yoked to? Because Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so if I'm yoked up with Jesus, then there is a continual fellowship with Jesus. And therefore, I'm not going to grow weary while doing good because I'm yoked up to Jesus. The problem is we get tired when we put on those additional yokes that God has not prepared for us. Lastly, number one, continually come to the fountain that is Jesus. Check your yokes. Number three, have the perspective that fruit will come in its season. 
Fruit will come in its season. How do we not grow weary while doing good? Know that fruit will come in its season. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Paul writes here, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul is almost quoting himself again, reiterating to the Galatian churches in that region, hey, don't grow weary while doing good, for why? In due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We have to understand that as we continue to do good for the Lord, as we're yoked up to him, sometimes we might not see immediate fruit. I would say most of the time we might not see immediate fruit. And the temptation is, well, this is not working. (laughs) So I got to try something else. Or this is not working. Why even try at all? And the promise is we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So we continue to do good. We continue to press on with the understanding the Lord is faithful and he will produce that fruit in its time. And fruit comes in its season. And maybe that's a word for you today, that you've been investing in the Lord. You've been doing all the right things. You've been really intimate with Jesus, but then there's no real fruit. Things haven't changed. The promise is don't lose heart. The fruit will come in its season. So you can continue to do good. You can continue to be faithful as the Lord leads you. Let's go back to Second Thessalonians. So he says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And verse 14, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So again, that warning, hey, withdraw from those people who are walking disorderly. The implication is if you continue to have fellowship with that person, you're enabling that person to continue in disobedience, and that's the least loving thing you can do. When you withdraw from that person, you're saying that, hey, you're not walking in the Lord's ways, and I love you enough to admonish you, which means to warn you, to correct you, but you have your own responsibility to walk in God's ways and not walk in your ways. But if you're going to continue to walk disorderly, I'm not going to approve of that. I'm going to lovingly, graciously be over here and pray for you, but I'm not going to approve of that. And that's a hard decision to make, church. I think the admonishing must come before we make that decision to withdraw because in Matthew chapter 18, there's a way to deal with a sinning brother. You can look at that on your own time. But when we enable disobedience, we're saying, that's okay. That's not a big deal. When we're, and in effect, we're actually fattening them up for the day of slaughter, the day of judgment. And so tough love is still love, church. And I I had to learn this as a youth pastor because I wanted to be the cool youth pastor. Like, hey, that gossip, oh, that's, that's funny. You know, you can, that's okay. That's not too bad. When the Lord takes seriously those gossips, those rumors, right? Oh, oh, you're stumbling in that way. Oh, that's okay. And you're stumbling again and again and again and again. It's like, wait a second. Wait, something is not working here, you know? So we have to reevaluate so that we're not setting up people for failure. Paul's heart is for those brothers as well. Hey, withdraw from them for your own safety because a little leaven leavens the whole lump and a bad company corrupts good morals, but also for this brother that they would learn that that's not okay. 
And sometimes people need to be hit with that shame that comes with their own disobedience in order for them to come to Jesus. So it says, do not count him as an enemy, so don't hate on him, verse 15. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's that familial love, right? We're all part of that same body. So if one person is suffering in our body, we're all going to be suffering. So I'm going to do my part in admonishing this brother and be like, hey, this is not right. It's an uncomfortable situation to find yourself in, but it's the most loving thing that you can do. So Paul is saying, note those people, stay away from them. But before you stay away from them, make sure you do that thing of admonishing them, making sure you under- they understand why you're withdrawing. And it's for a purpose. It's for their own sanctification. Last but not least, his final words, verses 16 to 18. Now, church, he's saying, may may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Again, in context, they're going through it. They first thought they missed the rapture. Because of the persecution, they're still being persecuted. And how does Paul redirect their focus? Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace sometimes, no, always and in every way. Believer, do you know that there's peace for every situation, for every time? Because Christ says in John chapter 14, my peace I give to you, not as the world, but my peace I give. And so, Believers who are not walking in God's peace just haven't received it because it's always available for us. The God himself, the God of peace himself is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And I love that in the chaos, we need the Lord of peace. He is the supreme ruler of peace. He himself is our peace. And as he gives us peace, it's by him giving us himself. And so we press into Jesus. And it says, the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I love that he begins his letters often with grace. He expounds on how grace looks like, and then he ends with grace. This is the grace sandwich. And so the believers, as they're reading this, man, their hearts are filled with encouragement. Paul, man, our our hero in the faith, he's writing to us. He's clearing the air of this, uh, uh, of the, the wrong thoughts of, of the Lord coming and we missed it. No, I'm encouraged to continue to be faithful. And in the waiting, I may have to correct a brother or two or withdraw from a brother, but I have the God of peace who is with me. And thus ends Second Thessalonians, which is great. So how do we apply this word to our lives? You'll kind of discuss this in your groups, but we talked about Paul's prayer request. We noted his humility. Though he was this spiritual giant, this pastor, this church planter, he humbled himself and opened himself up. Hey, I need prayer for these different things. We looked at Paul's humility. What might it look like for you to humble yourself and ask for prayer? I know I actually have a hard time doing that because I have to acknowledge that I have a weakness. And no one likes to admit that they're weak. But that is the exact entrance to experiencing God's strength, right? That his weaknesses, in his weaknesses, his strength is perfected in us. So what might it look like for you to humble yourself and ask for prayer? And then we talked about Paul's warning from those who are walking disorderly. Do we know of anyone, brothers, right? He's writing to the church, brothers or sisters who are wasting their time. 
Maybe you're wasting your time. And, and how would it look like for you to be faithful as you await the Lord's coming? It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to lose heart. But what does it look like for you to be faithful? And then Paul prays for the Lord of peace to be with the believers, to be with the church. And let's ask ourselves this, how might my life be different if I walked in the Lord's peace? Again, it's there for us. It's given to us. He himself is our peace. So what might it look like for us to receive that and to walk in that? And how could that impact those around us? Things to ponder and consider to take a walk with as we discuss in our groups. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We thank you for their example, Lord, how they served. And it's really a reflection of you, Jesus, how you came to serve us. And Lord, we receive that that blessing of you giving your life for us. And we say we want to live for you. And so we pray that you would confirm the things that you've been speaking to our hearts through these books. And may we be doers of them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen. Amen. Amen.